0: Okay, let's turn to First Peter, chapter one, the portion that was read to us. Okay, so um, I think it's in the month of August that uh, we moved into the New Testament section in the whole Council of God series, and uh, and as we went through those sections, uh, through through those various sermons, we we studied about the birth of Christ, we studied about his his life and his teachings, and uh, then now we are in the instructional sections. Now. Now, one thing to note about Jesus is, while Jesus, when he was on the face of this earth, he was popular for his miracles, he was popular for his teachings. However, he was not really popular with the religious system that existed in the time that he was here. The, the, the religious system which comprised of the Pharisees and which comprised of the Sadducees and, and, and you know the priests and all these, all these people, they constantly plotted to harm him. And eventually they had their way, in a sense. Um, but God was still working through all of that for the salvation of, of His redeemed, and um, and uh, and you know once uh, sorry, yeah, and um, and uh, while while Jesus was uh, while Jesus was here, the the as all these people constantly conspired against Him, one of the things that we see is that uh, as much as His miracles were popular. Uh, it is not so much uh, the, the, the truth that he spoke uh, as he exposed the scriptures to the people And which is why they constantly felt hurt and they constantly wanted to rebel And they constantly want, want, to, want to put him to death Now with the death of Jesus, all his enemies would have thought that that's the end of this man And they would have thought that this is it, this is it He as it is had only a handful of disciples And they thought that we are done with, with this faith called Christianity but God had other plans. You know, Jesus rose again on the third day, and after his resurrection, we know that he appeared to his disciples and, 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 and some of the other people as well before he made his ascension into heaven. Now, once Jesus ascended into heaven, again, it's not like there was a significant number of people who were his followers. But look at the impact that Christianity made in the world today. And when we look at that impact that Christianity made in the world today, how was it possible for a handful of people to go and shake the world? You know what happened to the apostles of Jesus, the, the disciples of Jesus? It's not like they had a good life. Out of the twelve, uh, out of the 12 um, apostles of Jesus Christ, do you know what happened? now this is a chart which actually tells us what happened to the to the to, to the disciples of jesus now many of them were crucified about four of them were crucified some of them were speared to death some some of them were clubbed to death look at the life of each of these apostles of the jesus christ you know but for john who was exiled in patmos i mean in a way that was not a natural uh, end, end of life as well but but for him everybody else paid a price for 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 the sake of the Gospel, and you know Saint Thomas, we know that history says that he came to he came to India and he preached the gospel and he was eventually speared in uh, in chennai which is which is which is very close to us, so we find that that you know the gospel spread across the world as a result of of, of the faith and as a result of the martyrdom of Jesus' closest disciples and several of our church fathers as well. In fact, you know, I came across this particular statistics and this statistics is written by this person called David Barrett and what he says is, he's a, he's a mission statistician. And what he says is 41 million Christians have been martyred and 26 million is after 1990 so 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 maybe you know we are living in a comfort zones and we don't realize this but the fact is that several people are losing their lives and giving their lives for the sake of the gospel and you know just just for us to just for us to uh, just put this in perspective you know during the holocaust do you know how many jews died six million jews and look at the number of christians that have died now this is possibly not a fact that we know but i hope this really shakes our inertia as we think about our faith and and to think about the fact that 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 you know millions millions have given their lives for the sake of this message of jesus christ now now we come to now we come to the book of first peter now in the book of first peter Chapter one, it says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Who is Peter writing this to? And, and I think during worship today, uh, we had two thoughts coming from first Peter. And like Liju said, this was being written to the church that was being persecuted. Now, now, now after, after Jesus Christ, after his ascension, we saw that his apostles and his disciples and all his followers were constantly being persecuted. And during the time of Emperor Nero, persecution was really at a peak. And Nero, the wicked king that he was, he was so full of himself and he had this grand plan to, 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 to remodel the city of Rome. And because he faced resistance, what, I mean, history says that he actually set the city on fire and he destroyed the city. And as a result of which, what happened is you know, the, people's, the people's anger was directed at him. And in order to deflect that anger from the people, what he did is he blamed the Christians for the fire. And as a result of which, great persecution came upon the Christians. In fact, it was a time where, where people really were, were stretched and people were really concerned because they were losing their possessions and they were being hunted down. And here it says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens, scattered through Aspontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Now these are places which are which are in today's uh, present-day Turkey. So what do you find on the left are the places that that uh, that are mentioned here, and what is on the right is actually today modern-day Turkey. So these are Christians who are scattered and who are living in today's modern-day Turkey. And you know when you when you receive a letter, when any of us receive a letter, the 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 seriousness with which we receive that letter depends on who writes that letter, right? So, So if your spouse writes to you a letter, there's a way in which you would receive that. If your kids write to you a letter, there's a way in which you would receive that. If your boss writes to you a letter, there's a way in which you receive that. If you get a notice from the income tax, there's a way in which you receive that. So here, what Peter is saying is, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, He's writing to these people who are persecuted and he's saying, I'm Peter, the apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm the sent one. I'm the one who walked and talked with the Lord. I'm the one who followed his footsteps. And he is writing this letter to reassure them and he's saying that he's the apostle. So please listen to me carefully. It's kind of what he's indicating. And then it says, and then it says, as we, as we, as we, as we, as we move, he says, who are chosen. I think in ESV it says the elect. Now what does that mean? What does that mean? It means that out of the millions of people in this world, you are a group of people who are chosen or you are a group of people who are elected. By who? By God himself. So as they're going through this persecution and as they're going through these tough times, what he's saying is just remember, you guys are my chosen. You're my special people. you're you're, you're chosen and that's what and that's and that's what he's saying and we know that you know I've just put uh, some of the some of the um, references which uh, which kind of uh, corroborate this point and you can read that later now in the book of Ephesians it speaks about our choosing even before the foundations of this world and that's how God has valued each one of us we are chosen we are chosen by God and then it says according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Now here the verb is new and what it means and and what that verb really indicates is that an intimacy, an intimate knowledge. By who? By God. So he's telling these people that you're chosen and then he's saying that you are known intimately by God. Now how does that make someone feel? How does that make someone feel who's actually going through these trials to know that I'm special, I'm chosen? And I am intimately known by God. And then He goes on by saying, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit. Now we know that, um, that you know before we came to Christ, there was really the, the, it, I mean we were children of darkness. And today we are. And today what uh, what Peter is saying that you know the sanctifying work of the Spirit is there within us, which sanctified us and which is continuing to sanctify us. And and. And, you know, he's just reassuring these people, you know? In fact, in Ephesians 1, we read this, right? We read that he's given us the spirit as a guarantee or as a deposit. That's how much he loved us. He's the third person of Trinity. And you know, he resides in us. He dwells within us. Now, how does that make us feel? Doesn't that make us feel privileged, guys? Chosen, intimately known by God, we have the sanctifying work of the spirit that continues to be with us. And then it says to obey Jesus Christ, to obey Jesus Christ. And you know, in the scriptures, you know, we, we, we read that, uh, you know, the devil, the liar, he was once our father, right? We were children of darkness and we were children of the devil, the liar. But today we have this privilege to be called, the children of the Lord Jesus Christ and to obey him. What a great privilege it is to be obeying the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that incredible to be, to be obeying the Lord Jesus Christ today? And then, he, and then you know he just he, he just doesn't stop and he says, and we are sprinkled with the blood of Christ. Now in the Old Testament sacrifice, we know that the priest would sprinkle blood on the offerer so that the offerer is cleansed symbolically. But here we read that we have the blood of Jesus Christ sprinkled upon us and that's what makes us clean. So he's talking about all these multiple privileges that these people have. As real as it is that they're going through this time of crisis, what he's saying is, look at all the privileges that you have. You're chosen, you're known intimately, you're sanctified by the spirit which dwells in you. You have an opportunity to obey Jesus Christ and above all, you're sprinkled with the blood of Christ. And as a result of which, You know, you are people who are chosen and who are called out for my name. Now, you know, in the Roman system, you could actually escape persecution if you just recant your faith. You can actually recant your faith and and go your way. But these are people who stood for their faith. And then as we move on, you know, I I really like the way he ends verse 2. He says that, may grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Now, may grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. What is he referring to grace? Now, we know that grace refers to, 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 to you know, unmerited favor, which is he's giving you something which you didn't truly deserve. Now, because we were enemies with God and because we had sin in our lives, all what we deserved was death. But, but it's not that God didn't give us death. He gave us his son, Jesus Christ, and the result of what Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross for us, and the result of his blood being sprinkled upon us, we have been made clean. And we are valuable in the sight of God. And as these people are going through this time of crisis, Peter is not saying that your crisis is nothing. He's not saying that you will come out of what you're suffering in this world. But what he's saying is that you will experience grace to go through this. And then the next word that he says is, may grace and peace be yours in fullest measure. You know, considering all what these people were going through, considering that they may not even know if they will have life the next day, you know, the word peace sometimes, you know, uh, if, you, if you just if you just read it without context, it may just seem out of place. But you know, the Christian peace that, that is explained in the scriptures is not speaking about some absence of conflict. It is speaking about that In a peace that you experience knowing that our God is in control and knowing that our God is in absolute control and he has allowed you to go through this particular experience and that's the peace which is spoken about here. You know, Paul, while he was in the Philippine jail, he, sorry, while he was in jail, he's writing to the Philippines and, and he speaks about peace that passes all understanding. How does that work? It is again not the absence of conflict, it is again not the absence of problem, but it is, it, is, it is that calm assurance that you have within you that the Lord is in absolute and perfect control. How many of us have read, have read um, you know, stories of martyrdom and stories of great men of God in the mission field who despite all the conflict that they go through, they truly experience the peace of God? Um, and you know that's that's again because of that assurance that they have within us that our God is in control. Now, um, you know, when I was growing up, one of the one of the most uh, uh, most uh, heart-touching stories that I have read is about uh, this man whom many of you would know, um, you know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a German theologian. He was, I mean, for me, he is like a Christian hero of faith um, in the, in the, in the, in the modern-day world. He said, salvation is free, but discipleship will cost you your life. Now, I want to use his story to narrate what peace can be. Now, he was a Christian who lived in Germany during the time of the Nazis. And, you know, as a Christian, he could have kept his mouth shut and allowed the Jews to to get persecuted, but he decided to speak up for them. And because he spoke up for them, the Nazis arrested him, and they actually put him in the concentration camp. And while he was, he, while he was in the jail, in the camp, uh, you know, one Sunday, the Sunday after Easter, he was leading a service in the camp for all the people who, um, who were, I think, uh, Christians. And he was actually explaining to them from Isaiah chapter 53 and verse five, and as the service was going on two of the Gestapo officers came to take him and he knew that was his end because he was condemned and he knew that one day he's going to be hanged and as these officers came to take him out he just told the people who were, who were there with him he said this is the end for me said the beginning of life he knew that this life is going to end but for him the life that is going to end here is going to be the beginning of a new life and you know the next morning he was hanged he's a star he's actually a star in the you know the the israelites consider him to be a star because during the holocaust he was one of those people who stood up for the nazis uh, who stood up uh, for the jews and he felt it was his duty as a christian to speak up for them where did he get that peace to utter these words and 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 just quietly go to the gallows. You no, know, it is the peace of God that passes all understanding which dwelt in his heart. And with these words, Peter is trying to assure these people that, you know, your circumstances are difficult, but may grace and peace be with you in its fullest measure. And that's the peace that he speaks about. Now, as we move on, we move on to the, the, the next section, which is First which is Peter chapter one and verse three, verse three to five. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. You know, Peter is almost breaking into worship. He's almost breaking into worship as after he speaks the first two verses and he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again. What is this mercy all about? We read about grace, we read about peace. What is mercy? Now, when when we are merciful to somebody, we don't do what that person truly deserves. And, and, and this is what I want all of us, you know, sometimes all these things might be truths that we all know and we've heard from childhood, but it's always good to be reminded of the fact. You know, the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. God of the Bible said that I'm holy and he's expecting us to be holy. And because, and because as human beings, it is impossible for us to please this God. You know, in, 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 in Psalms, David says that, in sin, my mother conceived me. And we 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 are in a way because of sin in us, we are programmed to go and and, and, and go into eternal hellfire and damnation. But you know, our God was merciful. Our God was merciful. He didn't want you and me to go to hell. And as a result of which, he provided for us in his his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And as a result of what the Lord Jesus Christ did for us on the cross of Calvary, and like we read earlier, this blood was sprinkled upon us and he's cleansed us. And as a result of that, today we have access to come to this holy and mighty God. And, and, And that is what the mercy of God did. He didn't give us what we deserved, but yet he gave us his son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, in Hebrew speaks about, as a result of this, we can draw near to God with confidence. And and as we move on, uh, what does it say? Uh, He says, according to his great mercy, and he says, has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Again, born again, it's a word that we keep saying and we know what is born again. Born again means that if you are a sinner, if you are someone who is a sinner, who's sitting here today, you know, I just want to tell you that you can be born again, which means you're getting a new birth, and you don't get birth again and, and and be born as what you were, but you become born again as a new creation in Christ, as someone who is holy and set apart to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that incredible? He's giving you a fresh start all over again. It doesn't matter what kind of background you're from, it doesn't matter what your sinful state has been, but he's giving you this opportunity to be born again. You know, in the book of Corinthians, we read that if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. All the old things have passed away and you've become new. That's the opportunity and that's the privilege that he gives to you. And um, and, as we, and as we move forward, it says, you know, I really like this word which says, born again to a living hope. You know, the word living hope really caught my attention. What is this living hope? It's not some kind of hope. I mean, um, you know, when the COVID situation was going on and we, many, many of our people were down with COVID, we prayed and hoped that they would get better. This is not that kind of a hope. It's not a hope that, that has a chance of, it can happen, it may not happen, but this is a living hope. It is 100% assured. It's a hope that lives beyond the grave. It's a grow, It's a hope that has conquered the grave. It says, living hope through the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ defeated death. You know, in, uh, in, in, in the scripture we read that it is sin that brought death to this world. You know, we were not originally, we were not meant to die, but as a result of the sin that came into the world, death came into the world and Jesus Christ was the perfect son of God and because he was perfect he was able to take all our punishment upon him and he died a death which he didn't deserve and then what on the third day he rose again and as a result of his rising again death has been defeated and when we place our trust in him you know we have that life we have that eternal life and that is what that living hope is it is not the hope that the world can give you which would pass away, but this is living hope, a hope that goes beyond the grave, a hope that is made possible through the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. I'm sure all of us sitting here, we are all going to die one day. Some of us sooner, some of us a little later. Do we have that living hope which goes beyond the grave? And look at what Peter is telling these people. Now, these people who were, who were actually reading this letter, they didn't even know whether they're going to be alive the next day or the next couple of hours, and look at the way in which Peter is exhorting them to, 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 to get them to, 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 um, to live out their life with hope. And then it goes on right. In verse, in verse four, it says, "To obtain an inheritance which is to obtain an inheritance which is, which is um, imperishable." Now, now you know, the children of Israel, uh, I, th- I think as we went through the Old Testament series, we, we, actually, we actually learned this. One of the greatest inheritance that the children of Israel had was the inheritance of the land. The land was their big inheritance. But eventually, you know, we know what happened, right? God snatched away their land, repeatedly, because of their sin. But this is an inheritance which is imperishable, which means this is an inheritance that we have in Christ when we come to him, which, is, which, which nobody nobody can take it away from our hands it is ours forever Jesus said that you know, no one can snatch them out of my father's hands so not only has he done everything for us for our salvation he also protects us so that our security is also in him even the security or the maintenance of our salvation is not in our hands even that is with God what a mighty God right what a mighty God and how much should all of us be thankful of this great God? It is all God, like today's morning worship, all the thoughts that we heard, everything, it's all about Him. It is just our privilege to come and just fall at His feet and tell Him that we love Him because He did everything for us. And we have this great inheritance which is, which is, which is imperishable and which no one can snatch from our Father's hands. And, and finally... Uh, what he says is you know it will not fade away and it is it is it is reserved in heaven for you you know the best of metals be it gold or silver over a period of time it oxidizes and it loses its sheen but but you know the beauty of our inheritance the, the sheen and the and the luster of that is will go on forever that's how that's how glorious it is and, and, um, and you know then it says that we have this place which is reserved in heaven for us what a great privilege I just want all of us to ask yourself this question do you have the assurance of salvation you know if you die today where will your soul be will you be resting in heaven in the presence of God Will you, are you sure that you have this inheritance which is imperishable and which is undefiled and which will not fade away all of which you know, all of it which was made possible through the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, you know, for someone who who has no idea whether he's going to live the next moment, aren't these words of comfort, knowing that, knowing that, you know, even if they were to die, they're definitely going to be in heaven, in a place that is reserved, um, that is reserved for them. And then, it, and then, you know, it, uh, it, further, it further goes on. If you come to verse five, it says, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. You know, that is, that is speaking about this place which is reserved in heaven, and that is protected by God, not protected by man, and through faith for a salvation which is to be revealed in the last time. Finally, the realization of all of this will happen in the end when we finally get to heaven. So that's what that's what this section speaks about, and this section speaks about the hope of the persecuted. So the first section, verses one to two, we 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 saw that you know it speaks about the privilege of those who are persecuted, and this section speaks about the hope of the persecuted. We now move on. We now move on to our next section, and and you know this is this is again another story which 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 I, I want to talk about. This was you know when I was a child. Um, I don't know who told me the story, but I I still remember that when I heard the story of this man, it really gripped my heart. It, even even as a little boy, I think it strengthened my faith. And, you know, as I grew up, I began reading church history and I read further about this man, and this is a story that each of us should know. Again, like I said, in the Roman system, you always had a chance to recant your faith and get out. Polycarp was was uh, was a disciple of Apostle John. He was he was one of our church fathers, and he was from Smyrna. He was he was 86 years old, and and the Roman soldiers had gone to his home to arrest him and take him for his execution, and. And it is said that when they reached his home, it was late in the evening and he was hospitable to those soldiers. He actually gave them a meal and asked them to stay over at his place, knowing fully well that they are going to take him for his execution. Next day morning, they took him and and the fire was ready to, for him to be burned to death. And again, the, the judge or the proconsul told him that, you know, you can recant your faith and you can go back. And do you know what Polycarp said? He said, I mean, these words are just incredible. What he said is, 86 years I have served him and he has done me no harm. Why should I forsake him now? So the proconsul couldn't really believe that he's giving a chance for this man to get away and he's not making use of that. And he said, I will throw you to to the wild beasts. And he said, call them. Even that failed to deter him. And then he said that, the proconsul said that, you will be burned at the stakes. And this is what he said. He said, you threaten me with fire, which burns only for a moment, but you're ignorant of the fire of eternal punishment reserved for the ungodly. He failed, he, he did not want to recant his faith. And finally, these are Polycarp's final words. He said, O father of thy beloved and blessed son, Jesus Christ, I bless thee that thou hast counted me worthy of this day and of this hour to receive my portion in the number of the martyrs in the cup of Christ. And with that, this man was put in the fire and he was burnt. Sometimes I wonder if I know I have that kind of faith. So we move on, uh, we come to the next, uh, the next portion, which is First which is Peter 1 verses six to nine. It says, in this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while. If necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. Again, he says, in this you greatly rejoice. These are people who are going through so much. And he's saying, in this you rejoice? Rejoice? Really? What rejoicing is this? And it says, even now for a little while. Now, if you look at it, if you look at it, you know the time that we spend on the face of this earth when you compare it with all of eternity it is just a speck it's just a dot but what you do in this dot is what determines the rest of the rest of you know your future and here it says even though now for a little while if necessary you've been distressed by various trials so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold which is perishable even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's saying that, yeah, you have been tested. You are going through this, this phase, this, this, this moment of trial on the face of this earth. But, but, you know, that is soon going to come to an end. That is soon going to come to an end. And what is the reason why people go through this trial? What is the reason why these people were going through this trial? And this is this is very important for us to know. In my in in, in my uh, Bible, it says so that the proof of your faith. This is NASB, but in ESV, I think it says so that the genuineness of your faith. You know, sometimes when we go through this, is when our faith really gets tested. And when your faith gets tested, you know, when 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 people are going through these, this kind of crisis, and when being a Christian is is you know, it it is going to even affect your very life. Only the true Christians will stay with the Lord. For all the others, they, they can just recant their faith and they can just go and live out their lives. And, you know, through these trials, through this trial by fire, you know, the proof of your faith or the genuineness of your faith is being tested and only the true ones will stay in the faith. And it says that is something which is more precious than gold. Which is which is perishable, and gold is you know um, gold goes through tremendous heat before the gold and the impurities are separated, and it says, "But your faith is more precious than even that gold, which also can be can is perishable, but but the result of your faith does not perish." And it eventually says that may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. These people, these people, they may die. But what he's saying is, at the revelation of Jesus Christ, praise, glory, and honor are going to be theirs. You know, and this really requires faith to believe. Because he's not speaking to Christians who are comfortable, he's speaking to Christians who are going through tremendous, tremendous trial. And, and then in verse 8 it says and though you have not seen him, you love him and though you do not see him now but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of joy I think uh, Reuben spoke today, right, about Thomas, you know, what did, what did Jesus tell Thomas, he said that blessed are, tho- blessed are those who don't see and yet believe, now these people, these people they lived a generation later, they haven't seen the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's telling them is, you have not seen the Lord yet you love him, and though you do not see him now, you believe him, you guys are really blessed because you haven't seen him, yet you believe him. And you greatly rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and full of glory. This, I mean, what, a, what, a, what words of assurance for these people who are going through this huge crisis. And finally, it says that, you know, you obtain as the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You know, on that glorious day, When everything gets over, you know, that's where the final realization happens. You obtain as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your soul. You don't obtain salvation because you persisted and you went through this trial. But you went through this trial because of your faith. And one day you will receive your salvation. I just want all of us to really think about you know what what we just heard it's a short portion it's not it's not a very big portion but i would really encourage you to go ahead and read first peter today because paul is because peter is repeatedly writing to these people and talking to them about various things knowing fully well that some of them might meet their end so soon are we convinced about our faith church if we were to if we were to finish our life do we have this assurance that when we pass away from the face of this earth, that we will be with him in glory? You know, all these privileges that we spoke about, the hope that we spoke about, you know, the, the, the joy that, that he speaks about here, are we sure that all of this is going to be ours? And, that, and it is something that, that each of us should, should think about. So, so before we move to the, to the last section, I just want to ask you, we spoke about the privilege We spoke about hope, we spoke about joy. Please reflect on this as you go back today. And if you don't have this, or if you have any doubt, it is time for us, it is time for you to come and talk to any of us. And we will help you with a better understanding of this. And you know, as we move forward, I just thought that for a church like ours, which is in Bangalore, which is in a city, you know, these are some questions that we can think about. Are we willing to suffer for the sake of Christ? See, today we don't have persecution, honestly. Living in a city like Bangalore, I don't think any of us go through much of persecution. But the question is, are we willing to be persecuted for the sake of Christ? In fact, in Timothy, it says that you know, all those who follow Christ will be persecuted. So if we haven't experienced any kind of persecution, it may not be the persecution where people are trying to kill us or crucify us. It may not be that kind of persecution, but it could be persecution for a stand that you take as a Christian at your workplace. It could be a stand that you take as a citizen in your society. When you stand up against injustice, If you don't do anything, you know, people who don't do anything never get criticized, never get hunted down, never get persecuted. The question to ask yourself is, are you doing anything that is worthy of being persecuted? It's not like you go and ask for persecution, but through your life, you know, because of the holy and clear life that you lead, is it attracting persecution or have you been persecuted? That's a good question to ask ourselves, right? How upright do we live our life? Because if you lead an upright life, chances are high that you will be persecuted. The next question I want to ask is, do we pray for the church which is persecuted? You know, when, uh, when the Taliban took over Afghanistan, I remember for a time, I used to everyday pray for the women, for the children, and for the minorities. But over a period of time, I think I also lost that enthusiasm. Now, this is what happens to us. We need to pray for them. We need to pray. You know, the church is in crisis in places like Iraq, in Nigeria. You know, several of these places, churches in crisis, even in India. There's so much of things that are happening. Do we? I mean, forget even going there. Do we even pray dedicatedly for the persecuted church? You know, we. I mean, I'm just speaking of myself. I have a home to stay. I come in my AC car in the morning to this church, sit in an air-conditioned hall, we worship, we go back, we order biryani, have lunch. I mean, nothing necessarily wrong in it, but all I want to ask is, do we feel for the persecuted church? Do we pray for them? You know, there are people there, there are, are, you know, there are people who are going through unimaginable things. And I think we are quite comfortable, I am quite comfortable, and the least we can do is to at least pray for them. The next question is, are we willing to serve the oppressed church? Are we willing to serve the oppressed church? If the Lord calls you today, are you willing to go to a place of conflict and serve the Lord? It can be in simple ways. You may not go up as a frontline missionary. It could be a back-end job. Like for example, a small example, right? Now this week we have the inauguration of the school building in Barloth. They're desperate for teachers. Teachers come and go, teachers come and go. They're desperate for teachers. Are you willing to use your gifts? If the Lord is leading you to a place like that, it's difficult being and serving there. It's very difficult to serve the Lord in the north. But similar, similar opportunities if the Lord were to show you, are you willing to serve the oppressed church? And the last one is which I already spoke about. Have we become too comfortable in our faith? If we have, I think, I think, I think, you know, we should. Because I think living in a nice metro like this, in a cosmopolitan place, we are sometimes insulated from what is happening, forget outside, even in our own country, maybe even in, the, in our own state that we stay in. So I hope that these questions uh, just make you think about what we spoke about in a more, uh, in a more personal manner. Now, next is a chart which uh, which I put together. I'm sure some of you know this magazine called Christianity Today. So last year, in 2021, there was this article which they had put out which said, which are the countries in the world with most persecutions? So the... I think here the colors are a little muddled up, there the colors are better. So, you know, you have gray and you have the light red and you have the deep red. Deep red is obviously the countries where persecution is the highest. And on the right-hand side it says, where it's hardest to follow Christ. And look at that, in the top 10, you have India at number 10. India is, you know, in the great league of countries like North Korea and Afghanistan and Pakistan and Nigeria. You know, but again, what, what, what really hit me is the fact that I'm not even aware that the situation is this bad for our brethren across the country. So, so, so I really hope that each of us, one is if you don't have this assurance of who you are and if you don't have this assurance of what your future will be, then I would invite you to, to, to really come to the foot of the cross, repent and surrender and give your life to Christ. And like I said, if you want to know more, please come and talk to us. Because we have privilege, we have hope, we have joy in the Lord, and it is it is it is for us to come and receive it. And um, and you know, as we live out our lives in the coming days, let us be challenged. Let us not take our faith for granted. Let us be willing to serve the Church of God. Let us be willing to pray for the Church of God and let us be willing to suffer for the sake of Christ. You know, this is a verse which I want to end this on. And when they had called in the apostles, they bade them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for his name. It is a privilege and honor to suffer dishonor and to be counted worthy for his name you know the situation in Rome was so bad that it is said that you know what Nero used to do? he used to catch hold of the Christians, he used to pour hot tar on them. you know tar? the one that we use for the road? he used to pour hot tar on them, light them up and he used to use them as lamps in his garden. that's how cruel the situation was you know the faith that you and me enjoy today many many people have given their life and their blood for this faith. Christianity did not grow through the sword or through conquest. But many mighty men of God gave up their lives for this faith. Many mighty men of God counted it worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Christ. And we are recipients of that. We are recipients of that. And what are we doing with it? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this time and Lord, we pray that, uh, Lord, as we were just going through your scriptures, Father, Lord, we want to thank you for your word, which is so true, which is so relevant, which is encouraging, which convicts us, which, which pushes us, and we pray that this word of God would change our hearts, Lord. Lord Jesus, we really pray that, uh, that in the coming days, we as a church, Lord, CBF as a church, Lord, we would, we would be willing to suffer for the sake of Christ, even as in your plan you have kept us in the city, we pray that we would do, we would be willing, Lord, to serve you, Father. Because we know that the church at large needs people. And so we pray that you would help us, Lord. We pray that you would equip us, Lord. And At the same time, we pray that if there's anyone sitting here who is for whom, who is not sure of their eternity and who is not sure of what will happen to their afterlife, we pray that, you would reveal yourself to them, Lord. And we pray that the Spirit's conviction would rest strongly upon them, Father. We commit the rest of the time into your hands in Jesus Christ's name we pray. You know, um, one of the things that I wanted to say is, um, we, 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 we sang that song, right? Uh, facing a task unfinished. You might wonder why, why that song was chosen. There's a small story. Now, this song was made popular in the recent past by Keith and Christine Getty. But this song was originally written by someone called Frank Houghton, who was a missionary with uh, China Inland Mission. And in 1929, there was a dearth of missionaries to carry forward the work in China. And CIM, the China Inland Mission, put out a target of wanting at least 200 missionaries to come to China and serve the Lord. And Frank Houghton wrote the song and this kind of became the rallying cry. And in 1932, You know, they were able to raise about 200 missionaries to come and serve in China. And as these missionaries came to China, they didn't know if they're going to go back alive because because that was the situation in China. But they risked everything and came to China. And it is said that at that time when they came, there were about one lakh Christians in China. Today, we know that China has a flourishing underground church, a church which is constantly at risk, but a church which is growing. So that was the reason why that song was chosen. May his name be glorified.